got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And on this episode, we're doing something slightly, but not completely different. I have some new music coming out on the 21st, so we'll be chatting about the song and the video, as well as taking a fun jaunt down a path lined with a whole bunch of delightful topics like class war and what it means to be pro-life. But first, if you love or even semi-passionately like what you've been hearing on What the Folk and want us to feel that love like a big old hug, please give us a quick five-star rating and a rave review and follow us on your favorite platform. Also, you can love us with your money via PayPal to whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. More donation options will be coming soon eventually, we promise. Thank you so much in the meantime for sharing us with your friends and family and colleagues and passing strangers and anyone else that you feel might be into it. We love it when you do that. Now, to get us in the mood for an apocalyptically festive conversation, here is my holiday ditty, which is available for download at joydamiani.com. It's called, Please Don't F With Me, This Xmas. Don't fuck with me. Oh, please don't fuck with me. 
Holiday Duo Spectacular. Welcome to the What the Folk Holiday Duo Spectacular. I just made that song. Yeah. I should leave the songwriting to you, clearly. <laughs> Whatever, that was a beautiful song. All songs are valid on this podcast, as far as I'm concerned. All songs matter. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I would say all songs are valid. <laughs> As long as it's not the Joker by Steve Miller Band. I used to honestly, earnestly like that song when I was a young soldier in my early underage 20s. I had a thing for Steve Miller. I um, was given a bunch of CDs by my garrison commander, Colonel Davey. He uh, gave me his CD book when he walked by the public affairs office and heard me listening to Bob Dylan one day. And so, yeah, it was, it was through the Colonel that I got acquainted with the Grateful Dead and Steve Miller and, um, you know, all the dude rock of the seventies, Led Zeppelin. It was great. Yeah. So that's sort of why I ended up being sort of culturally like a, like a, middle-aged dude starting real young <laughs> well i was a muse like trying to make it as a music writer for a while so if you want to hang out with a lot of middle-aged guys then i would highly suggest that as a career path it might be why we get along so well because <laughs> i was doing that in my 20s so <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting because, like, I was socialized in the military when during my, like, formative adult years, you know, and I didn't play music then. I just loved music. And so I listened to it constantly while being, like, conditioned in this hyper-masculine culture that, you know, really, really appreciated deeply butt rock. <laughs> butt rock. <laughs> You know what I mean, right? I think so, like Limp Bizkit, corn type stuff? Um, Kind of. Yeah, no, I was more thinking like this sort of classic rock butt rock. Mm. I'm not, wow, I'm a par- I just talked about being a music writer. I'm like so not even familiar with that term. <laughs> For some reason, I, I... I did not make it up. Um, but I also have not heard it for many people. I feel like I've heard it from younger people. I'm old right now. Maybe we should edit this part. <laughs> I am looking at butt rock. Just gonna be a style of hard rock and heavy metal that is watered down musically and lyrically to garner maximum radio play and mainstream acceptance. Yeah, that, that works. That kind of makes me think of like Nickelback and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, I never, um, I really am glad that I was in reform school when Nickelback had, had their day, their big days. I feel like Nickelback is famous because everyone hates Nickelback. Like no one actually likes them. It's such a strange. I feel like if I say their name one more time, they might appear. (laughs) (laughs) Like Bloody Mary. Or Beetlejuice. Right. (laughs) Both of which would be preferable to Nickelback. Exactly. You know, there's a there's a really funny Shirley Gnome song. I don't know if if that's the name of it, but the um, the chorus or whatever the refrain is uh, Nickelback's not so bad. <laughs> awesome. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, I I'm not gonna do it justice by talking about it. Just go listen to it. Yeah, maybe we'll link to it in the show notes. I think we should. I think we've invoked the name. Shirley Gnome is incredible. Anyway, you should just check out all her music. Nice. Um, so, yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> Woohoo! It has. Yeah. I'm still really pissed off about the Assange extradition decision. I'm also not surprised, but I'm still pissed off. Yeah. It just... It doesn't stop amazing me how few people seem to give a fuck about this i mean well it's been really effectively suppressed in the media and in like every area where 
it should be getting talked about in in Congress, you know. No no one's talking about it. So it makes sense that a lot of people don't care. Yeah. And to me that's such a you know, especially like our our respective liberal friends <laughs> love to brag about how well informed they are. And I'm like, the fact that you don't care about this when you were all about democracy dies in darkness, you know, mm-hmm. a year and a half ago or whatever, um, or I guess would have still been a year ago. Wow. I don't even know. What is time? But, um, yeah, you know, like that to me just shows that like you're actually not that well informed. You're really just as conditioned as anyone else. And, like, we're probably conditioned in our own respective ways as well, but at least I feel like we're Mm -hmm. trying to have some level of awareness about it. Right. That's, I think, the main difference. Because we all are conditioned in different ways. The difference between, like, being stuck in conditioning and being potentially able to break out of it is, like, being being open to being told when you're conditioning is like keeping you from knowing shit and you know being open to being wrong being open to new information (laughs) it's like that's there's no harm in in admitting to being conditioned I think the harm is like resisting unfucking yourself totally and it's such an ego trip I think people just don't want to look like they're wrong but I'm like number one I don't really track like what everyone's opinions are on anything so if someone like changes their opinion on something based on new relevant information I'm not going to sit there and be like you know maybe there's like a couple people just because they're extra annoying about their opinions that I would be but (laughs) secretly to myself but like I don't even like yeah I think people think that people think about them and their opinions way more than anyone actually does yeah yeah, I I think that it's interesting to when we, you know, when you think about how our conditioning and our culture, it's it all stems from, you know, patriarchy and um, you know, class classist um oppression. You know, and you think about how um you think about how our our information gets gets distilled and hold on I have like a few different thought trains that I'm trying to connect with this here. Um yeah. Basically like in the military I was trained to talk about things like I knew what I was talking about um even if I didn't and I was um you know that was that was what was expected of me to sound like, you know, what you're talking about at all times. Like if you ever acknowledged being wrong or having made a mistake or having failed, that was seen as a sign of weakness. And when you think about that, like that's essentially a microcosm of the conditioning that the government is, is kind of trying to hand down to the public too, in a different sort of watered down form. But you know, it's very much like you strive for perfection. There is, you know, there's no, you know, pride or honor in um, in failure. You know, there's no such thing as like learning and growing through failure in either the military or the patriarchy that I've detected. Yeah. And I mean, you can definitely see it in how, you know, I don't know. It's so interesting. I feel like I'm not living in a timeline where I feel like we're on the brink of a civil war, but then occasionally, you know, I, I, that comes up in conversation with a lot of people. I don't know. I, but the point of what I was going to say is like, if people are so entrenched in their viewpoints about ultimately two political parties that are really a uniparty and that don't even stand for the things they claim to stand for respectively, (laughs) Right. That just shows you how people will literally apparently go to the grave rather than admit they're fucking wrong about something, even when it's something that's so incredibly asinine and isn't even serving them in any detectable way, except giving them a team to root for. 
It's just mind-boggling. Well, that and that is, like, a perfect metaphor because it's, like, people take it personally when their team doesn't win, and that's also part of conditioning. Like, it's really tragic, you know, um, when it comes down to it because we are, you know, blinded, intentionally blinded to the fact that two political parties are essentially one political party and the government is just run by rich people. Like, why is it so hard for people to grok that the government is just run by rich people like it is in all the other countries? Like, it's not, like, we're not admitting some kind of weakness that everybody else doesn't already know about when we do that. You know, if we're, like, all collectively as people in the United States, if we all wake up tomorrow and we're like, okay, we admit it. We live in an oligarchy. We don't have a democracy. It's like, if we have to, if we do that, then we have to revolt, I guess. And people, people aren't ready for that conversation. Yeah. So I'm just picturing a meme with like people revolting and it's like, this could be us, but you play in. (laughs) I mean, and it's also, like, what does revolt look like? I think people don't realize, like, how many creative forms revolt can take. It doesn't necessarily mean, like, being out in the street getting tear gassed. You know, it just means using your skills creatively and subversively. It's not that um, really risky when it comes down to it. Yeah, and I think it's because, like, I'm totally going to... give credit to Connor Habib for planting some of these seeds in my head, by the way. If you don't listen to Connor mm-hmm. Habib's podcast against everyone with Connor Habib, listen to it because it's awesome. But um, he talks a lot about how, you know, like we've kind of let the state colonize all these spaces, whereas like we do have spaces in our lives that are not colonized by the state. And like mm-hmm. we can kind of try to think about ways to build utopia without necessarily like waiting for the state's permission. I'm hopefully not butchering his ideas here, but um, I think that's a really powerful idea because I think so much of what we do, even in resistance, you know, so-called resistance movements or whatever in this country, and just like we're constantly just waiting for the permission from the state in a way, or we're trying to get the state to, you know, step down or behave the way we want it to. But it's like, what if we kind of tried to work from a space that, well, just fuck them, let's do it anyway. I'm not saying that that's easy when the state, you know, is what it is, but I think it's at least an idea to consider. I mean, it's really like to use a an analogy that pretty much everyone we know is familiar with. It's like, let's Jedi that shit. Like the state is not, you can't overpower the empire. You have to find ways to work outside of it and around it and like kind of even within it, like build pockets of sanity in an insane system. And those pockets, you know, eventually they become many pockets and then they become connected pockets. And then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, gradually, (laughs) be great if it was all of a sudden, um, But then gradually it, you know, people start um, realizing that we have, maybe not start realizing, but people start being able to actualize our potential that we have, that a lot of us are, we're trying to do it, but we're just stuck in this mindset that like the only safe way to live is within a system that is actively trying to kill us. Right. I mean, it's not easy to try to deprogram yourself from all of this I mean and I don't wouldn't say that I've done it perfectly at all I mean I'm trying but it's like every single day you get up and you try to do that work but it's a lot of programming to sift through and a lot of like I don't know having to get comfortable with a certain amount of uncertainty in your life and like a certain amount of instability and sort of accepting that as part of the flow of things and that's I think really scary for people because we've been kind of again this is more program we've been fed like a program that stability is what is attainable and it's really not (laughs) 
So. Right. It's not, I mean, it was kind of like what, it's what we were talking about with Carla Bergman. I think we talked about it with Serena Chopra um, here and there, like essentially, you know, talking about how this, um, this notion of, you know, there being like a perfect right way to do things is in and of itself this like very constricting and rigid and like, you know, heteronormative way of looking at life and, um, and a, a being when, you know, we can look at everything as constantly changing all the time. And, um, you know, honestly, I've been thinking about all this stuff all, all the time because you know, this is what the new songs I've been recording have essentially touched on, you know, this idea that there's no such thing as perfect and we're all constantly changing because to me it's the only way to make sense of anything none of the systems that are in place that tell us how to make sense of things actually work yeah exactly um gosh i want to talk about your songs i had this like i don't know random story that popped up from my head though from the bernie campaign when yeah tell me um when I say from the Bernie campaign, this is from my personal experience during the Bernie campaign, I should say. So um, the Iowa, night of the Iowa caucus, we were staying at this weird Buffalo Ranch thing up in Wyoming, me and my um, now ex-husband, but because um, we were going to go see this country guy we like there, Whitey Morgan. And it was a very strange place to be during the Iowa caucus because it was definitely out of red state vibe, especially being a country show. It was also like negative two degrees and snowing. And I left my kratom and weed and everything else there. So I was in a not great mental state. And then all that Iowa caucus shit happened. So I'm, like, trapped in this little cabin when it's snowing. And, like, all I could do in that moment, I mean, I would, you know, I had my little internal hissy fits and external ones. But, like, at some point I just had to kind of give in to it. And, like, I just kind of sat there. And I don't know, the image that came into my head, because I was feeling really hopeless, you know, like a lot of people, I had a lot of, you know, emotion and hope tied into the Bernie campaign. And I was like, they're not even going to let us fucking have Iowa, like, right off the bat. Like, we can't, like, what the fuck? Um, They're already fucking us. And, which, you know, again, shouldn't be surprising, but... Um, the image that kind of came into my mind, and I don't know if it's from, like, my higher guides or source or my higher self, but it was, like, when light one light goes on, another light sees that light, and that light goes on. And that's an mm. image that's really, like, stayed with me. And that was, like, kind of what got me through, like, a lot of the heartbreak of that campaign was just the idea that, like, even if this failed, the energy that, like, was put out there and the ideas and people wanting something better, you know, now I've changed to the point where I'm like, the something better has to come from outside the system, not within the system, but still just planting those seeds is important. And, you know, that one light goes on and another light realizes it can switch on and finds the on switch. So Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, no, I think that it really speaks to the fact that like, we have to be conditioned to be to function in this system. Like we don't naturally do that, and um, you know, when we are, when we're like disconnecting from that like conditioned way of thinking, we're actually getting back to our more organic selves that are really just in built for like eating drinking, walking around, thinking, you know, like feeding ourselves and, you know, in whatever ways we need to do. But like this whole idea of production and manufacturing and marketing and branding and money, like it's all imaginary. It's all just, if we were, if we weren't given these ideas from our parents and our societies, our society from birth, then we wouldn't, um, we wouldn't miss them. (laughs) Right. And so it's kind of funny that there's a new Matrix movie coming out, because, like, even though it's sort of 
cheesy and easy to make fun of the Matrix, the whole ideas they presented in that were so were distilled in such a powerful way that I think they really were speaking to like um, almost like our collective unconscious awareness that we're living in a bullshit reality where a lot of this stuff isn't actually real, but we've chosen to believe it's real. And that's the Matrix that we're actually living in. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a reason that movie resonated and some of that like red pill, sh- you know, like that those words have become part of society. And I think it's because they really did hit on something that we all kind of know oh, yeah. on some level. Even if we don't know, we know it like we all know, you know. Right. We do. We all know it. And um, and we're afraid to talk about it because we don't realize how actually painless and easy it is to disconnect from the Matrix. Like it's. It's made out in the movie to be this, like, painful, like, agonizing thing. But it's actually, like, the most pleasant, simple thing to just disconnect from the Matrix. Um, and it really is all, all you have to do is, is like, be present and not give a fuck about the Matrix, you know? <laughs> the only thing that can make it hard is if you're, if you don't have other people to talk to <laughs> that, you oh, know... Yeah. So that's why, you know, even if there's, like, five people that listen to this, like, maybe that's that's the importance, I think, of trying to put ideas out there right now is, like, again, it's that light bulb. You're, like, flashing that Mm -hmm. signal to someone else, like, hey, you're not the only one who fucking feels this way and kind of sees through the bullshit and it's trying to, like, create something better, even if it's just within your own self. Like, there's there's other people out there. You're not alone. Yeah, there. Yeah, I want to like make sure other people out there know that like, if the system feels like it's not not working for you, it's actually because it's not supposed to. It's not supposed to work for anybody, but a very few number, a very a very few people, um, you know, who are pulling the imaginary strings, which is you know money, the economy, power. It's all um, so much of it is in our heads. And, um, you know, the, the things that we need in this life exist. Um, you know, I think about it as a, you know, it's, it's a, I was reading this book that one of my neighbors in Colorado gave me, um, at the beginning of the pandemic and it was, um, kind of new agey, but also not, uh, this it was called spiritual partnerships. Um, and it, I think is what it was called. And it was, you know, basically the, um, the premise is like, we all are controlled. All our decisions are controlled by either fear or love. And the system of oppression that we live under exploits fear. Um, most of the time it only exploits love, um, to like, you know, as a sort of cover for really exploiting fear. Like, it, it exploits love as, like, aren't you afraid of being alone? Yeah, I was just about to say that. Even that is kind of fear-based. Or, like, yeah. you know, in the holiday season, there's always all these, like, movies about love at Christmas and blah, 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 and it's this sort of mostly heteronormative. I think now I have been reading there's a few, like, gay Christmas movies now coming out, which is, like, that's cool. But, you know, it still is this sort of heteronormative monogamous model of love that you're going to find your soulmate and it's going to be great forever. And as someone who's gone through two... Actually, both of us have been through two marriages. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you, ladies. Let us break it down. (laughs) Not just for the ladies, but seriously, like, honestly, even, like, the institution of marriage is such... Like it's something that we don't question, and I really am happy for my friends who are who are happily happily married. Um, but like, you don't have to be happily married to be a successful human being. Like, and like the idea that you have to be a successful human being at all is bullshit. Like, all you literally have to do is exist to be valid. Yeah, and <laughs> that's it's something that we're really deprived of by our culture. It's. It's so sad. You know, we're heading into, like, the darkest season, and you'd think that the only thing that would matter is, um, you know, reminding people that everyone is connected. Yeah. But no. But no. 
No. <laughs> and we have to overlay all that bullshit programming on top of what should be a really simple and beautiful holiday, like most holidays, you know? Or even just, like, I feel like the dark season, you know, the darkest time of the year, yeah, it's... um you know, it can be a really awesome time, but like because we live under this oppressive system that refuses to recognize all human beings as like worthy of a home and food and clothes and healthcare and all these things, like we just have this, like we all just struggle needlessly all the time and feel like if we're not struggling, then we're somehow not humaning, right? But it's like, it doesn't actually need to be as big of a struggle as we're making it. And it's sad that, um, you know, the, the programming system is so effective. That we don't, we don't know how to unplug it. Yeah. We've really complicated the whole trip here. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Y'all are like, like, let's play with the idea that there was some higher being that created us. I feel like that higher being would be like, Y'all are really, like, making this way too fucking complicated. Like, I yeah. gave you everything you need, and you, you just added all this other shit that you didn't need to add. So. Yeah. Like, wow, you just, like, you went in a whole different direction with that idea than I thought you were going to go. Wow, <laughs> wildly creative interpretation, but okay. <laughs> Points for creativity. Right. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. Your hosts are Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. You can find more information about the show and stream every episode at whatthefolkpod.com. And now back to the conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like good science fiction is a nice release valve, good comedy. Um, you know, I had a chance to see actual stand-up comedy i got a chance to see kate willett yeah and um and uh yeah yay kate our friend and and former guest um recently and just it just reminded me so much that like comics are a really important release valve for our societal pressures like you know we can real talk on this podcast but like comics can do it um, in front of large numbers of people and uh, give us permission to think about all this really big shit. Yeah, totally. I can't, I don't think like I've made this up myself, but I'm pretty sure somebody said one time comics are almost like the prophets or like the thinkers of our time. You know, if you look, especially if you look at people like Bill Hicks or George Carlin, like even like early Joan Rivers, like so much of that stuff was really like just such a, sort of Richard Pryor, like, such a amazing commentary that got at some big truths bigger than in a, some big truths in a more effective way than somebody simply ranting or writing their diatribe or manifesto could. And when you right. deliver it in a humorous way, I don't know, you tend to, like, remember it more, too. <laughs> like, I can, I can quote, like, Bill Hicks especially. I love Bill Hicks. Like, I can quote Bill Hicks like bits verbatim but when it comes to actually like repeating the ideas of some philosophers I've studied and things like that like I would have to go back and look up the quotes to make sure I'm not butchering them you know totally oh my god yeah I mean like George Carlin was one of my early influences and I ended up like writing one of the songs on my first album like based on his bit about there being no no such thing as bad words. It's just, you know, bad intentions and bad, bad feelings. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it was a concept that I had not had really broken down for me, like so effectively until I heard it and it stuck with me forever. Aww. Maybe we should include that song too <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> Maybe we will. Yeah. I've got it somewhere. I mean, I've got it and all of the hard drives, I'm sure. Yeah, it was um, It was also my first curse along that I ever wrote. Your first curse along? Curse along, yeah. I had written a few sing-alongs, but this was a curse along. I included as many of the curse words as I could fit in that specific part of the song. <laughs> Excellent. 
Um, speaking of your songs, you've got um, kind of some exciting, an exciting new release coming out. So kind of wanted to ask you about that. And what do you wanted to tell our listeners about your new song? Yeah, yeah. Um, new song coming out. I'm super excited about it. It's my first single as uh, Joy Damiani, you know, as as my not former self. And uh, you know, new listeners, I don't know if you even remember that old name anymore. If you do, go ahead and forget it. <laughs> she, she, she who will not be named. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But I'm very excited to um, to release this new song because I wrote it as like a therapy song for myself and as a way of reminding myself that perfection is non-existent, which is um, something that I heard said, I think I mentioned in our last episode, a six-year-old told me that, uh, the daughter of a couple of really wonderful poets. I know Sarah Riggs and Omar Barada, they have a couple of daughters and their youngest. I was showing her some things on the ukulele and I was like, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. And she was like, oh, there's no such thing as perfect. <laughs> It's like, you're going to have a way easier life than I did if you already know that. <laughs> right. So that's, well, that's impressive for a six-year-old. That is yeah. a lesson I am still learning <laughs> when it comes to myself. Same. I can talk a big game and tell everyone else to, like, don't worry about your productivity and don't worry about being perfect. But yeah, when it comes to myself, I'm like the worst at actually listening to my own advice. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I put my advice for myself into songs that other people then sing at me um, and remind me, you know. So this one's called It's All Right to Not Be Okay. And I wrote it, um, again, as, as a reminder to myself that, like, we are in the fucking apocalypse right now and everything is unstable and, um, you know, perfection is unachievable. So if we're constantly striving for it, we will constantly be, um, in a state of disappointment. Like, like Carla, um, Bergman and Nick Montgomery say in their book, joyful militancy. Um, you know, if we want to be in a space, state of joy then we have to be like open and receptive to things being shitty sometimes and not okay and uh and it's funny that I wrote this song like before I had read that book but then when I read it I was like yes that exactly yeah I mean it kind of speaks to the best art comes from ourselves but also from something bigger than ourselves at the same time like not to keep coming back to the matrix, I that wasn't even on our pre-conversation notes. But again, that I, you know, that the way that certain art hits people, I think, like your song, you know, it's it's pulling on something that like we all kind of know, but we don't know it until someone presents it to us, usually packaged in some kind of artistic way. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, like I, I don't. I don't necessarily look at like the future capital F as a thing. Like I look at all the, all of the creative work I'm doing as being, you know, completely ephemeral, you know, I'm looking at it as like, how can this touch people the way that like I need to communicate with them? You know, how can this be something that is so like real and authentic that it resonates with with that authentic piece of other people and, um, and, you know, helps kind of send this message of, Hey, it's all right to not be okay out there because I need to hear it from other people too. <laughs> yeah. I saw this meme the other day. Can you, I'm going to probably butcher it. It was shout out to buddy head on Instagram. They share some really good memes, but I think it was, might have been the caption of a tweet or something. It was basically saying anyone who says that they're doing mentally well under capitalism is or late stage capitalism is mentally ill, and it's like, yeah, like I don't know anyone who's totally okay right now, and if they are, they're right. living in 
I don't know, some they're either not being honest or they're in some kind of incredibly privileged bubble. Right. Yeah, I mean, because, like, we all, when we talk about doing well, we talk about doing well in the context of, like, all things considered, you know? Like, nobody who says they're doing well that I know is actually doing well. It's like, we're doing all right. We're, we're getting along. We're eating. We're housed. Um, hopefully, you know, and I mean, there are plenty of people who will say that they're doing well who are not housed, and that's, you know, a whole thing, too. It's like, it's all relative. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, anybody who says that they're doing just sort of like um, objectively well right now is either lying to themselves or um, or completely off the deep end, I think, or in, in power. Yeah. So, and I even wonder if some of them, you know, if they haven't lost their humanity, if there is stuff that eat it and go away at them, even if they don't want to look at it, you know. Yeah. Well, so it's funny because also after I I wrote this song, um, one of my cousins came to visit and he showed me this self-portrait that um, my little cousin, my, our, our, my cousin's daughter, who's seven or eight, um, had drawn. And it was this, like, very angry face. And he was like, this is what Amelia drew in school. And they had to draw a self-portrait. And I looked at it, and I was like, that is the realest fucking self-portrait I have ever seen. I love it so much. <laughs> and um, and so I asked her um, through my cousin, I was like, do you mind if I if I use your, your kid's uh, is she down with this if I use it as the cover art for this song? Because I feel like it goes really well. And she gave her permission. So the cover art for the new song is um, is drawn also by a young child who thankfully, you know, has not yet had the filters fully set in place that say like, you're not allowed to feel your emotions, you know, or your self portrait has to have a smile or, you know, all of these things that keep us like in our narrow little experience bubble that could be so much bigger. Indeed. Um, did you want to talk about the video at all? Shit. Yeah. I want to talk about the video. Um, so we filmed it at a boxing gym and uh, it really, I wanted to have um, a visual experience of not okayness that was also kind of fun and exciting and, um, and not sad um, because, you know, there's no need to, to think of not okayness as having to be sad. Um, it can be all right. It can be great. <laughs> It can actually be great to not be okay. And so I thought, why not um, have have the video be a boxing match? And uh, a, a, it was a sort of, it was a suggestion that was sort of a, um, you know, oh, shoot your video at the boxing gym. And I was like, yeah, ooh, it should be a fight. And, um, and so the video is, you know, I'm also not a very great boxer. Like I've been doing it for a very small amount of time, all things considered. I got into it through some very s synchronistic stumblings into, and, uh, and it's been a really helpful thing for my physical and mental health. So, um, but I'm not like, I'm not good at it you know? <laughs> and so I had one of the trainers at the gym fight me and, uh, I was like, please don't hurt me too hard, but like definitely, you know, fuck me up because like, that's what this is all about. And then I'm going to, um, be all right in my not okayness. So, um, there's some fun little, fun little tricks that I won't give away that we use in the video that are exciting. It's going to be released on the 21st, all, um, you know, inshallah, as they say in the Arabic-speaking world, which means if God wills it, <laughs> which means barring unforeseen circumstances <laughs> in, the, in the corporate United States. 
Yeah, well, I'm glad we're getting a chance to talk about it now because I know you get um, you've you're really good about kind of looking into how to do internet publicity about things much better than I am, and that's definitely something I've learned a lot from you. I mean, I've learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot of a lot of things from you. <laughs> <laughs> Same Z's, dude. But um, oh, thank you. But like, yeah, it's kind of interesting the whole challenge of being an independent. And especially being an independent solo artist where it's not like you have other band members that can also put things out there. <laughs> so. Very true. Very true. I mean, it's all just like a learning experience, you know? And I mean, like, for example, like I just talked about my video and I didn't even say like where you can find it. It's at joydamiani.com, you know, like <laughs> our like, I'll put links and stuff and there will be like a Spotify pre-save and all this shit, but it's like, I'm still learning. So, you know, when we, when we talk to other independent artists on this podcast, like I'm talking to them because like, I'm impressed by what they're doing as much as like, I enjoy them and what they're doing. But like often I want to learn from, I feel like learning from each other is like the way that we as independent artists can, um, exist outside of the capitalist, um, you know, cage. Yeah. And it's that sort of like, you know, lifting each other up and building community. That's really important right now. And I think it's one of those ways we sort of try to create those pockets or those little lights outside of, you know, the system or the state or whatever you want to call it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like, it's so interesting, right? Cause when you think about like, okay, if your goal with releasing a song is to have the most possible people hear it. Um, your actions have to be different from if your goal is to make the most money, most amount of money possible from your song. Because um, if you only promote your song in like the avenues that will make you the most money, like Bandcamp, where people will pay you and download your song, um, you won't get anywhere near as much traffic as you would if you put it on Spotify and have you know, and you get paid like three one hundredths of a cent per per stream. You know, it's either like a dollar per download or, you know, three hundredths of a cent per stream or less than that, even three millionths of a cent. It's it's a ridiculously small number. Like fuck fuck Spotify, really. Like I'm gonna put my shit up there because you have to. So yeah, it's like hard to um, as independent artists figure out how we want to work with our our work and how we want to try and get it out there. I hope everyone who wants to hear my song and download it and whatever does. And, you know, I know that people can find ways to do that for free, whether or not I, like, make that available on purpose. And I honestly, at this point, I'm like, we're in the freaking apocalypse. I would really love to be paid for my work but I also get it if people are broke I, whatever my thing that I've been trying to do this apocalypse is only buy music from like people directly and um and not use Amazon um or even iTunes if I you know, like I don't know if pe do people use iTunes still I, some people might probably I don't know yeah, I don't I don't know. I know. I know. Like most people, just like listen on Spotify and stuff. And okay, you know, it's all good. Um, but like, I just I think that it's really helpful when we're making art for art's sake. If you know we're able to get it out to the people who want to hear it. So unfortunately, there's a lot of bots in our way, but we'll work it out. Yeah. For those of you who might be tuning in, like for the first time if this is your first episode i promise we usually have guests um it's usually just not us <laughs> being stoned and rambling about stuff um although sometimes still sometimes still yeah <laughs> i mean most of the time it is so i don't know why i'm lying I'm lying to you new, new listeners i'm sorry i'll try to be honest with you in the future it's not a great way to start our relationship <laughs> off um when we talk about apocalypse i think we're very much you know, thinking of it as the unveiling, the old Greek meaning of apocalypse, where, like, a lot of things are being exposed right now. And you can see that that's why they try so hard to make sure we're not all talking about Assange or, you know, 
the revelations in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. I mean, there's some coverage of that, you know, like, mm-hmm. but like everything is out there and it's being revealed right now. And a lot of it, frankly, is stuff that shouldn't really be that surprising to anyone, but that's why I find it amusing that people have to go through all these conspiracy theories to get to the realization that maybe the powers that be aren't so nice. Like, Right. <laughs> like, did you need QAnon to realize the government abuses children? Because 75% of the fucking world's population could tell you about what the American government did in their countries. <laughs> so... Right. Exactly. And even like what happens in this country and what's been happening since like since the first colonizers came to the U.S. And it's just, you know, we don't talk about so many of these issues as having a beginning. And I feel like if we do talk about them, like like abortion, for example, you know, the way we talk about abortion in this country, it's like there is so little awareness around the fact that like we didn't always talk about abortion as a thing politically in this country. It wasn't introduced to the political menu um, until like pretty late in the game. And um, so we have to look at like, what is that issue being used to control, you know, it's, and what is it being used to divide? It's being used to divide um, everyone. It's like, it's the instant division issue. Like it's the, the catch all. Yeah. And I mean, like to be fair, pre Roe v. Wade, like abortion in this country was not very accessible and probably not very discussed because of its inaccessibility. But, um, correct. Like, but yeah, now it's become a political wedge issue, you know, post Roe v. Wade and now we're seeing probably like the worst attacks on abortion rights that we've seen in a while it's pretty scary actually and I it's very scary and like I I get people maybe being conceptually against the idea of abortion like I'm okay to admit that like I can understand why the idea makes you uncomfortable but if you're going to have that position and be against abortion, sex ed, starting at a very young age, free and accessible birth control, and generally empowering women, I don't find it to be a very ethically respectable position. If you are against abortion and are for all those things, okay, let's talk. Like, tell me how you're working towards that world. But, like, realistically, that's not the world we have, and it's just not something you can legislate. If you want there to be less abortions, work on birth control access. It's very simple. Right. Well, because the issue isn't about having less abortions. It's about having more control. You know, the... Exactly. The, if you're, if you're going to be anti-abortion, you have to also be anti-war, or else those two views should cancel each other out at that point. Like, at that point, you just negated yourself, and you should just, like, explode where you stand. Because, like, <laughs> you can't you can't have both of those things. You can't call yourself pro-life and also be pro-war. Um, as a callback to something earlier in the conversation, Bill Hicks has a bit about that. Yeah, when I heard that Bill Hicks bit, I, re- I remember being like, oh, my God, I've felt this way for so long, and finally somebody else, you know, and finally somebody else, like, obviously he said it before I was, you know, politically born. Um, but yeah, it's very, yeah, exactly. It's, it was, it was very validating. Yes. It was like the, I was like, oh, finally I feel seen. Yeah. I feel seen by so much of what Bill Hicks said. Mm-hmm. Same. Well, so thanks what the folk fam for you know, hanging out with us. And I really hope that you are able to hop on over to my website, joydamiani.com and, um, get the pre-save link for the, uh, for the new song of mine that's coming out on the 21st. It's all right to not be okay. And, uh, so I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put the song, the full song in this episode, Um, But a sneak peek of it was in the last one. So when it comes out on the 21st, I hope you'll check it out. 
And in the meantime, Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Happy holiday of choice. Happy Festivus. <laughs> Blessed Yuletide. Greetings. Happy Solstice, motherfuckers. This is where the light comes in. So, yeah. yeah. That's is the whole the whole thing with Solstice is, you know, invite the light. So turn that light switch on, whatever your weirdo way to do it is. And, you know, when you turn that light on, someone else sees it. Yeah. Embrace the darkness and... Um, and let in the light. Indeed. Well, cheers, Joy. Cheers, Sarah. Out there in the mountains, don't get snowed in. Happy holidays, what the folk fam. Yeah. Happy holidays. Well, there's no such thing as a bad word. The syllables alone can do no harm. It's just the action behind them and the feelings that inspire them that should ever cause you alarm in every single language there are words that are taboo everybody knows which ones they are and you get a lot of trouble if you bring them out in public but don't worry you can use them in your car cause there's no such thing as a Bad word, the syllables alone can do no harm. It's just the actions behind them and the feelings that inspire them that should ever cause you alarm. When you go to church, you can't say, Praise the fucking Lord. The people there will kick you out the door. But those same folks just might tell you that you're going straight to hell And that, my friends, is what offends me more Cause there's no such thing as a bad word the Syllables alone can do no harm It's just the actions behind them and the feelings that inspire them That should ever cause you alarm People who use euphemisms or abbreviate They say F and sh and C word and that makes it all okay They somehow think it's better when they remove a couple letters But we know what they really mean to say They mean fuck, shit, cunt They mean motherfucker And there's nothing wrong with that I'm here to say Just say fuck, shit, cunt Just say Motherfucker, you're saying it in your head anyway. Cause there's no such thing as a bad word. The syllables alone can do no harm. It's just the actions behind them and the feelings that inspire them that should ever cause you alarm. So please don't let words cause you alarm. Just say fuck, shit, cunt, just say motherfucker And there's nothing wrong with that, I'm here to say Just say fuck, shit, cunt, just say motherfucker You're saying it in your head anyway Cause there's no such thing as a bad word the Syllables alone can do no harm It's just the actions behind a man should ever cause you alarm so please don't let words cause you alarm don't let them fucking cause you alarm what the folk is co-produced and co-hosted by sarah baranowskis and joy damiani sarah is based on the native lands of arapaho cheyenne ute and ochetti shakoan tribes known as denver colorado Joy is based on the native lands of the Cowlitz, Clackamas, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, and Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians, known as Portland, Oregon. Featured music has been Please Don't F With Me This Xmas and No Such Thing As Bad Words by Joy Damiani. 
You can find us at whatthefolkpod.com, follow us on social media at whatthefolkpod, and contact us at whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. Our theme music is from In a Major Key by Joy Damiani, whose music and writing you can find at joydamiani.com. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, don't let the apocalypse get you down. <laughs>